0: Welcome to our weekend podcast. We're in week two of a message series called Greater Than. Leading up to Easter, we're focusing in on the life and ministry of Jesus. And for our current series, we're taking a closer look at three passages of Scripture that talk about Jesus's life following his birth and leading up to his earthly ministry. Now, my prayer and my goal for this series is, is that it would remind all of us that Jesus is greater than anyone or anything we can imagine. If you have a Bible with you today, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. Uh, We're going to spend a good deal of time in Matthew chapter 3. We're actually going to read the entire chapter. Uh, There's only 17 verses. Today's story is found in all four Gospels. It's actually found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you find our live service this weekend and you access the bulletin notes, um, there's going to be a reference to each one of those passages. So if you want to do some additional reading and study throughout the week, um, you can find this same story in all four Gospels. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food he ate locusts and honey. People from Jerusalem and from all over Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. But when he saw how many Pharisees and Sadducees were coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, "This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy." Before the miracle of Jesus' birth, there was another miraculous birth that happened. So there was a priest named Zachariah who was from the priestly line or order of Abijah, and his wife, Elizabeth, who was from the priestly line of Aaron. Now we know that Elizabeth was Mary's cousin, Mary's the mother of Jesus. This couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they loved God and followed him with their lives. They wanted to have children of their own, but the Bible says Elizabeth was unable to conceive. And when we're first introduced to them, um, they're both very old. They were well past the years of being able to have kids of their own. So one day, when Zechariah was serving God in the temple, an angel appeared to him and told him that his wife was going to have a baby. It was going to be a son And they were to name him John. As you can imagine, this took Zechariah completely off guard. The Bible says he was afraid, and he didn't believe the words that the angel was telling him. But the angel told him that he didn't have to be afraid, because God had heard his prayers. The angel also told him that their son, John, would bring so much joy into their lives that people all over would celebrate his birth and that he was going to be set apart by God, helping prepare other people for the Messiah. Now there's a lot more detail to this incredible story. So I'd like to encourage you to read Luke chapter 1 sometime this week. So that you can read for yourself how God worked in the life of this family. Today's passage takes place years later. This is when their son John was all grown up. So we see God kept his promise. He gave Zachariah and Elizabeth a son. And their son accomplished some pretty amazing things for God. I think we can call John the very first kingdom worker for Jesus. Because his life mission was to help prepare people for the Messiah. Now John's message was simple. He said, repent of your sins and turn to God. For the kingdom of heaven is near. This word repent literally means to change your mind. And then to act on that change. It's recognizing that you're wrong and that God is right. John reminded people that it wasn't enough to just live with regret and remorse for the sin in our lives. There had to be evidence of a changed mind and a changed life. In Luke chapter 3, John gives us insight into what this changed life should look like. So people came from all over to see John and to hear his message. And when they asked him what they should do after repenting of their sins and after being baptized, John said, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Don't take advantage of others, taking what doesn't belong to you. Live with integrity, telling the truth, and being content with what God has given you. These are just some of the ways that people were being prepared for Jesus. Like Jesus, John's birth and his life was talked about hundreds of years before he was even born. John is actually mentioned by the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament about 700 years before the time of Christ. Isaiah talks about a messenger who would prepare the way for the Messiah. So John was set apart by God for a specific purpose before he was even born. When you read the New Testament Gospels, it's easy to see that um, John was a unique individual. All right? I think if he were alive today, um, he wouldn't win any awards for his sense of fashion or for his dietary choices. The Bible says that his diet consisted of locusts and wild honey. All right? That's just disgusting, right? But what's crazy is that he seemed to be perfectly fine with his food choices. This kind of reminds me of those suckers that you see. You don't see them very often anymore, but when I was a kid, uh, the suckers were clear, and they had dead bugs on the inside of them. I remember my dad uh, would stop at a convenience store, and he'd try to get me to get one and eat it, and I never would. Maybe you've had one, but that just looked disgusting. That's kind of what this reminds me of. Well, John's wardrobe uh, was equally as interesting. It was made out of coarse camel hair. And he wore a leather belt around his waist. Now, I don't think my wife would let me leave the house for a second if I was dressed like this. Can you imagine me coming to church and preaching dressed like that? If he were alive today, I think PETA would be all over him. (laughs) Well, despite his weird sense of fashion and his disgusting diet, John was actually a pretty popular guy. The Bible says people from all over came to see him and to hear the message that he was preaching. Some people even thought that he might be the Messiah. So most people would have let this kind of attention and this kind of fame go to their head. But John, he was different. He stayed focused on God. He stayed faithful to God, focused on the mission that God had given him. And his response when people wrongly assumed his identity is actually our key verse for this series. Matthew 3, verse 11 says, Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater than That I'm not even worthy to be his slave and carry his sandals. This was John's response when people falsely and wrongly assumed his identity. John's life serves as a great example for all believers that this life is not about us. Let me say that again. This life is not about us. You see, John lived to take the focus off of himself and to place it on Jesus This reminds me of a verse that I shared with you last week. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 says, Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Friends, this should be the goal of our lives. Whether you're working, serving at church, going out to eat with the family, or attending one of your kids' sporting events, your thoughts and words and actions should glorify God. If if you're a Christian, Your life should be lived in such a way that other people get a more accurate picture of who Jesus is because of how you live. So again, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. Jesus is so much greater than. When people saw John's example, when they heard his message, they repented of their sins and they were baptized. Now, historically, Jews would have baptized Gentile converts, but here, John was baptizing Jews. This was completely upside down. And we have to understand that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. It was looking forward to the coming Messiah. Um, Doing this really fulfilled two purposes. One, it prepared people and the nation for Jesus. And two, it presented Jesus to the nation, reminding everyone that there's one who was coming who would be greater than John, greater than anything that he was doing, See, John's baptism would actually be superseded by the baptism associated with Jesus. The first time we see Jesus, um, after he was 12 years old and had stayed behind at the temple in Jerusalem after the Passover festival, that was from our sermon last week, the first time that we see Jesus is here when he's an adult. He's traveling from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by his relative, John. John had been telling people that Jesus' baptism would be greater than, than how he was baptizing people. And then here comes Jesus, asking John to baptize him. John felt completely unqualified for this. In fact, he wanted Jesus to baptize him instead. Now, this can be confusing. There's a lot of baptizing going on in this scene, or at least the, the talk of baptism. See, Jesus didn't come to be baptized because he was a repentant sinner. That's not the case. Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. Jesus came to be baptized Because it was his father's will. His baptism accomplished a number of things. It did a number of things. One, it gave approval to John's ministry. That was important. Two, it marked the beginning of his own public ministry. And then three, Jesus identified himself with the very people that he came to save. Getting baptized showed others and us the importance of repenting of our sins and choosing to follow Jesus as Lord of our lives. After Jesus' death, his burial, and ultimately his resurrection, he gave his disciples his great commission. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, um, he says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the mission and the marching orders that Jesus gave to all Christians. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to make disciples. We're called to make disciples as a church, and we do that by going everywhere, sharing the good news of Jesus with everyone, by baptizing people into Christ and into the family of God, and by teaching believers to live their lives by God's design. I think it's easy to see that baptism is a major theme in today's message. So for the remainder of our time, I'd like to answer some common questions that people tend to have about baptism. You know, we believe uh, that the Bible teaches that Christian baptism is part of God's plan of salvation and is the first act of obedience for a follower of Jesus. Baptism is a sacrament, not a symbol. It's a sacrament that should be important to every Bible-believing church. Christian baptism is the proper response of faith in Jesus that marks our new life in Christ by imitating his death, burial, and resurrection. And Christian baptism connects us to God through faith in Jesus and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So the first big question that I want to address today is this. Why should I be baptized? I think that's an important question. Well, number one, because Christ commanded it. All right, a person should be baptized because Christ commanded it. We just read the Great Commission where Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you go to the book of 1 John chapter 2, uh, specifically verse 3, John wrote, We know that we have come to know him. Right? We know we've come to know Jesus. We have a relationship with Jesus if we obey his commands. We know that Jesus commands us to be baptized and to baptize others. So we know that we've come to know him if we obey what he's commanded us to do. He commands us to be baptized. Well, why should I be baptized? I think there's another reason. Number two, baptism demonstrates that I'm a follower of Christ. Acts chapter 18, verse 8 says, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and... Were baptized. So in this passage, the Apostle Paul had been preaching at the synagogue in Corinth. He was trying to persuade Jews and Greeks to follow Jesus. He then went next door to a house that belonged to a Christian named Titius Justus. And while he was there, Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire family, they heard the gospel and believed in Jesus. After believing, they were all baptized, along with everyone else who had heard the gospel and believed. Um, their baptism demonstrated that they were now followers of Jesus. Second big question that I want to look at is this: What is the meaning of baptism? Well, number one, baptism illustrates Jesus' death, burial and resurrection. It illustrates Jesus' death, burial and resurrection. First Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 3 and 4, the apostle wrote to the church in Corinth, I pass on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. And then you jump over to the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 12. Paul wrote, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized and with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. So Christian baptism parallels the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, It also portrays the death and burial of our sinful old way of life followed by resurrection to a new life in Christ. So in Christ, we can be reminded that, that we've buried and put to death our old way of life. The second thing that I'd like to talk about when it comes to this question is that baptism illustrates my new life in Christ. Baptism illustrates my new life in Christ. Romans 6 verse 4 says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. You know, the Christian's power over sin and the ability to live a new life in Christ stem from identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and from living life through the power of the Holy Spirit. From God's perspective, Jesus' victory over sin and death is ours as well When we're baptized into Christ. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can now live a new life that is no longer under the authority and power of sin. We live under the authority of Christ. We're alive in Christ. We're set apart to live in a way that glorifies God and is for the good of others. Question number three. Why do we baptize by immersion? That's an important question as well. Number one. Um, Every baptism in the Bible was by immersion. It's important that we recognize this. Um, There's so many examples of this truth, but one of my favorite stories, one of my favorite examples is found in the book of Acts chapter 8. So there was a man named Philip. He was a follower of Jesus and also a missionary. In fact, he was one of the very first people to preach the gospel outside of Jerusalem. Philip was told to travel down a road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch who was returning from Jerusalem and was reading from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. He was traveling in a a carriage. Well, Philip stopped and asked him if he understood what he was reading. And the man said, How can I unless someone explains it to me? So Philip started to explain the passage to the man. And he told him about the good news of Jesus. And as they were talking, they saw a body of water. And the man said, look, there is some water. Why can't I be baptized? So they went down to the water and Philip baptized him. So while he was reading this passage and as Philip was um, teaching him about the good news of Jesus, somewhere in that conversation, baptism was part of the good news. He saw a body of water and he wanted to get baptized immediately. In the Greek, the word for baptize is baptizo. It's a fun word to say. It's a great word to learn and memorize. Baptizo. This word literally means to immerse or to dip. The Ethiopian eunuch and every other person who was baptized in the New Testament um, was fully immersed when they were baptized. Fully immersed under the water. So as a Bible-believing church, we follow the example that's given to us in the New Testament. Two, Immersion paints a powerful picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Think about this for a second. No no other mode or model of baptism is as clear a portrait as immersion. I don't say this to attack those who were sprinkled as a baby. It's only to affirm immersion as the original biblical model of baptism. And this is important, since baptism for many people may be the only time that that individual's family and friends come together to witness this illustration of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I've talked with several people over the past couple of years who were sprinkled as infants and who are worried that choosing to be immersed might insult their parents and their family. But friends, this should never be the case. You're not saying to your mom and dad, uh, you were wrong. Instead, you're saying, thank you. I now confirm with my own decision that you completely accomplished your role to instill faith in my life. Your parents should feel affirmed that what they instilled in you has come to full fruition through God's work in your life. It's important that we follow the Bible's teaching and that we baptize by immersion. Question number four Who should be baptized? There's really only one answer for this, and that is every person who understands the gospel, believes in Jesus, and has repented of sin. In Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter had just finished preaching the very first sermon on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. His words, this sermon, had made an impact in the lives of those who were listening. So in response to the message, the people said, what should we do? What, What should be the next step that we take? Peter responded by saying each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2 verse 41 we read these words, that those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. If you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's the Christ, the son of the living God, If you've repented of your sins, and if you're ready to follow Jesus with your life, you should be baptized. Baptism is God's plan. It's the first act of obedience for a new believer. So regardless of how long you've believed, whether it's six minutes, you know, sometime during this message, or 60 years, if you haven't been immersed, I would urge you to make that decision today. The baptistry is full here at the church. You can give us a call. We can schedule a time for you to come up. And you can be baptized. Well, the last question is this. When should I be baptized? Well, this ties into what I just said. And I think, again, there's only one answer to this question. It's as soon as you believe and have surrendered your life to Christ. Notice in Acts 2, verse 41, where it says, Those who believed were baptized and added to the church that day. They were added that day. They were baptized that day. When Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, it was the same day the man heard, understood, and believed the gospel about Jesus. So when someone believes, they're immediately baptized. There's always a sense of urgency to this decision in the Bible. There's always a desire from the individual not to wait. Friends, if you understand the gospel and are ready to follow Jesus with your whole life, you can and should be baptized If you wait until you're perfect or you feel like you got all your your baggage in order, you'll, you'll never be ready. And we're praying for more baptisms this year, more baptisms than we've ever seen before. If you've been on the fence about this, but you know that God wants you to make this important decision, today is the day. Make that decision. Be baptized into Christ. I want to conclude today's message with a verse from Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. We read this uh, just a little bit earlier, but I think it's a great way to conclude the message. Paul writes, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead.